If you'd like to go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 12, and you can keep a finger in there, and also in Colossians chapter 3. There'll be a little bit longer passages that we'll be reading together today. We looked last week at the fact that God had a plan for this universe that encompasses everything in it, even the actions of all people, so that there's nothing anybody can do that can thwart God's plan. We know the end of his plan is going to culminate in putting everything underneath the feet of Jesus Christ. Then Jesus Christ is to put himself underneath the Father, and it says that God will be all in all. And again, it doesn't mean that he's going to be everything that he can be, because he's already that. All in all gives the idea that God's supreme authority will be visibly recognized. No more rebellion, no more sin, no more death. Harmony will be between God and between his people. And we will experience as God's people the promises of never-ending satisfaction that are only found in God. We ought to be experiencing some of that now in a limited way. God's plan was completed before the universe ever existed. And as we think about God's plan as it continues through all the way up to our time period, there's two main Christian theologies of thought that differ on how God's plan ought to be viewed. It especially has a bearing on how you look at the church and especially has a bearing on how you look at things in the end times. What one side's going to see the church as always existing, there's always been a people of God so that there's always been a church, so to speak. And the other side will look at the church as something brand new that began, that God instituted at the time of Pentecost. Both different theologies will see Israel as a distinct entity. There's a people of Israel. But one's going to see this church spiritually become the new Israel because, again, there's always been a people of God. It's just been seen in different ways. In doing so, then, you can go back into the Old Testament and you can begin to claim promises that were given to the Old Testament nation, Israel, and begin to claim them for Christians today. One case in point, and sometimes both sides do it with this verse. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. And oftentimes we will put this in relation to America. If America would just come back to God, he would heal the land. And the reality is this verse isn't for America. It was completely part of God's plan for Israel as a nation and the covenant that he gave them. And they could be absolutely sure that if they followed God's covenant, God would bless them just like he said. There's no guarantee for that today, no guarantee for that for the individual Christian. We could become a Christian and have all sorts of horrible things happen to us. Yet God is doing something in amidst those trials, as we're going to be looking at even tonight 
in the prayer meeting. So both theologies, even though we may differ about Israel, we may differ a little bit about the church, maybe a lot a bit about some of these things, especially as we get to eschatology. But we can be sure that both parties still hold one thing that's absolutely main. And that's the truths of how someone comes to Christ for salvation. But Paul says this is what's essential in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which also I received that Christ died for sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So differing views, but fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Same Bible, same Holy Spirit. Different outcome in the interpretation of the Bible in certain areas. We understand from the World Christian Encyclopedia, and this is back in 2001, that there are over 33,830 denominations worldwide that would call themselves Christian. So with the same spirit and the same Bible, why so many differences? And it boils down to a thing called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics actually determines our theology. It's simply the art and science of interpreting language, especially written language. It's what helps bridge a gap between what an original writer was intending to say and what his audiences heard, because they should be exactly the same. You can do this with Homer, if you want to understand Homer. You can do it with Shakespeare. And yet we're doing it with something even more ancient. We're doing it with the Bible that has over 40 different authors. It spans a writing period from 3,500 years ago to 2,000 years ago. So hermeneutics helps us bridge that gap between when the Bible was written and the day that you and I are living in. There's certain rules that come with hermeneutics. We, we would hold these rules. Everything is literal, as it's stated. We would look at the grammar inside of the verses. And we would look at the historical context, what was going on in that time period, to help us understand what a verse is actually saying to us today. And some Christian theologies are built on many different types of hermeneutics. They, they change. Depending on what type of book of the Bible you're studying, some are poetry. Some are historical books. Some are narratives telling us a story. Some are epistles that are stating very strong and straightforward doctrine. And they might come to them with a different set of rules of interpretation. But, but we would hold that there's one set of rules that's applied to all these different genres that end up being studied in the Bible. Otherwise, things become un, uh, inconsistent. Things could be pulled out of there or put into the Bible that shouldn't be there. 
So as we prepare to look for or look at God's place for the church in the dispensation we're living in, want to look at how we actually get to that spot. So when we look at the literal grammar, grammatical and historical interpretation of the Bible, when we use the word literal, we mean the words that are written there mean what they mean. Their, their plain understanding is right there. And yet some might see that the Bible was written by humans. Paul, Paul wrote the Bible. And yet God was inspiring him. So they would come to believe that there's a human understanding right there on the surface. And then there's a spiritual, more deep understanding underneath that, that's God, that God wants us to know. We pray for that illumination, and we do, but not in that sense. And we pray that we could find those hidden meanings that lie underneath the surface. And we get into all sorts of trouble when we dig with that shovel. It's true that not all the authors who were writing understood everything that they wrote. If you have your finger in Daniel chapter 12, we'll find out that Daniel didn't understand some of the things that he was writing. He understood the words, and he understood what they were saying, but he was really struggling to understand how they fit into God's plan. Look at Daniel chapter 12, starting at verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward the heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things would be finished i heard says daniel but i did not understand then i said oh my lord what shall be the outcome of these things and he said go your way daniel for the words are shut up and they'll and they're sealed until the time of the end in other words daniel these are for a people of another time and I'm not going to give you the full understanding of them right now. But write down what I've asked you to write down. Because they're for a people of another time. goes on to say, But many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. And the wicked shall, be, shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And we can look at the book of Revelation today and have a better understanding of what Daniel was talking about than Daniel did as he was writing them down. And there's going to come a group of people after us, and especially Christians that are living in the tri tribulation time, and they're going to have a really clear understanding of some of the things that are written in Revelation and of Daniel, because they're living during that time. So, so we would say as we go to interpret the Bible that there's no such thing as Paul meaning one thing in what he's writing 
and God meaning another thing, and somehow you and I have to figure out what those two meanings are because it's going to become incredibly subjective. It's going to be whatever comes into your heart or into your mind. And again, we can get in a whole lot of trouble if we dig with that shovel. So I want to use an example verse as we go through the rest of this idea of, of how we interpret the Bible. In Romans 16, 16, or you could turn to Corinthians 16, 20, or 2 Corinthians 13, 12, or 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, Paul gives the church this command. Greet one another with a holy kiss. That's the command. So if greet actually means greet, because that's what's written on the page, and there's no hidden meaning behind greet that we have to try and think through in our minds. And if holy means holy, and one another means one another, and kiss means kiss, then it's actually saying to the church body, then and today, greet one another with a holy kiss. So here's the question, is that command binding on the church today? Is that command binding on Maranatha Baptist Church? If we say yes, then we have a problem. What's our problem? Anybody greeted with a holy kiss this morning? Door greeters are probably feeling a little bit uncomfortable with the implications of this for our day. The rest of us are thinking, which door will I now come through? Maybe we would rather have some awkward conversations like we were talking about on Wednesday night at Maranatha Baptist Church next week. If we say, no, this has no relevance for our time period, for our church today, then we just kind of put it off to the side, read through the rest of the passage, and just say that was an interesting fact about the church in Corinth. But we know that all Scripture is inspired. And it has purpose from God's point of view, and he's the one that caused the authors to write the words that they wrote. And if we stopped it of our interpretation process right there with the literal meaning of the words, we would have to take some time and repent. And we would have to put into action a, a different way of greeting people than we are today. So there's another part of this. It's the grammatical part. Words take on meaning and emphasis within their paragraphs and within their sentences. There's action that's required by certain words. Some of it's passive. Some of it, the person's doing the action. So, so in an active verb, you do the work. You do the greeting, if you would. You greet one another. It would be a command. There's actually 1,300 commands in the Bible written to the New Testament Christian, in the New Testament alone. That, that's about 700 plus more than the Old Testament had in the law that the Israelites were to follow. And they're all do and don't statements. And we also find as we read through, there's some action that's passive. In other words, you and I as the Christian are the object of, be, of what's being acted on. Something outside of us is doing the action. And in many of those statements, it's God who's doing the action. 
It's God who is doing something for us and to us. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. Because here's an example where we could get into a lot of trouble if, if we didn't recognize this. Colossians chapter 3 and starting in verse 5. Paul, Paul makes this command. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, in you. So, so you and I are to actively put to death the earthly things that are inside of us, the natural things that are inside of us, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We're, we're to put those things to death so that they're not part of us anymore. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away or put them out of your life. And he goes on to say these. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. And here's where we might start getting into some trouble. All these other things Paul is saying for the Christians, stop doing these. They're not part of your life anymore. And then we start to read, you've put off the old self, and you said, yes, I did. But I think if we looked at the grammar, we'd find out that no, you didn't. Do you and I have the power to put off our old self? Do we have the power, like Romans 6 says, to take our sinful nature and just simply render it impowerful? Do we have the ability to transform our inward nature from what was old and sinful under the governance of our old nature and put into it the life of God and put into it the Holy Spirit and to cause ourselves to be new creatures in Christ? And the reality is from other verses like Romans 6, no, we don't have any ability to do that. The grammar would let us know. This is what God's doing for us. God put off the old self. It's something that was done to us by him at the time of salvation. That's why we have the ability through him and the work of the Spirit to put off all these other things he's asking us to do. Stop lying. Stop being impure curtail your evil desires. Stop being angry. It's because of what God did to us and for us that allows us the opportunity to follow that command today. Otherwise, it'd be absolutely impossible. Continue in verse 10. And have put on the new self. Again, grammar would help us understand we, we didn't put on a new self. We were made into a new creature at the time of salvation. Again, so that, so that we can do some of the things that he's asking us to do. If you look in verse 12, put on then. Now, now it's back to action of the individual. It's back to action for me and you. God did this in verse 10, so that I am commanded to do this in verse 12. Put on then, 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We, we have the ability. I mean, these are fruits of the Spirit that are being produced. That's on God's end. But I can act with compassion because of that. He can hold me responsible for not being humble. God can hold me responsible for not being meek. He can hold me responsible for not keeping my patience and sticking with it and forbearing. And he can certainly hold me responsible for not forgiving like Christ forgave me. So again, these, these types of actions we understand because of the grammar and the way God wrote the scripture. So that's part of this whole equation too. So back to our example. If we look at the grammar, greet one another with a holy kiss. It still says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And we're still obligated to follow it. But there's yet another phase that it has to go through. Because if we stop right there, we're still in need of repenting. And we're still in need of changing the way we greet each other at Maranatha Baptist Church. And that's understanding the historical context. Because words can take on different meanings and be used in different ways at different points of history. Or different cultures may use things in a different way that might be unnatural to us. My generation used the word cool a lot. And some of you would understand that because you're in my gener generation. We'd say that's cool. We did not mean that that was on the cold side. We meant that it was really great and it was really trendy. And that person was really with it. Go back a little farther and you'd say, that was groovy. So we're using a word that actually means cold in a different way. So how do you know how a word's being used in the Bible? Because with the word cool, you could have a cool person who's sweating profusely on a hot day. And what if somebody... A hundred years from now, reads that statement going, I don't, I don't understand how this cold person is profusely sweating. Well, the reality was that was happening at that time, he was a really trendy person that was outside on a hot day, so he was sweating profusely. We could get the wrong meaning of that particular phrase. Or the word wicked cool, or excuse me, wicked good. That was part of my time period. What if somebody 2,000 years from now reads a writing from our time that says that was a wicked good athlete? They, they would have no concept of what's being talked about. The historical background that Pastor Brett was giving for 1 Corinthians, absolutely essential to helping us understand some of the passages that he'll be covering as he goes through 1 Corinthians. Without that cog, we might read into the passage something that we understand today that was nothing in their mindset back then. So let's take this cog now. Greet one another with a holy kiss in our, in our example phrase. Kiss means kiss. 
But if we go back into the culture of that time, it doesn't mean kiss like you and I mean kiss. It doesn't mean the kiss between a husband and a wife. In fact, it has the idea back in that culture that they actually did, and still cultures today in the East still greet each other by giving a kiss on the cheek. My, my pastor in South Carolina, when I was there, went to the Ukraine to teach at a, a Bible thing. And when he got off the plane, he was quite taken back because all the gentlemen began kissing him on either cheek and warmly welcoming him to their country. And he was not a kissy-huggy type of person at all. But that was completely normal in their culture, completely acceptable in their culture. So if we understand the culture that Paul is writing to when he asks them to greet each other with a holy kiss, he's asking them to greet each other as Christians with a warm welcome of affection so that they know they're accepted, so that they know they're part of the group. If we were to do that in our culture today, what would we do with the community around it? I mean, we might all kind of be able to get used to it to some extent if we did it over and over and over and over to became a norm. But what about visitors who came through the door? They'd probably go right through the other one and out and go, what is going on in this place? So how do we make its application to our time prayer today? We, we take the truth of what was happening in that culture and we bring it into our culture, and what does it look like then? What well, may look like a hearty handshake? It might look like a hug when appropriate. But it would be something that would communicate to our culture, Christian and non-Christian that would come in, that, that they are being welcomed. And especially this is for Christians so that when they come into our body, there is some action that's taking place that the person that we're greeting has absolute understanding that they are accepted here and they're loved and there's concern. So all these principles have to be taken together in conjunction to come to an understanding of a passage that would be similar to or, or right in line with Paul was asking the Corinthian people to do and the Roman people to do. So here's some application to take away with us this morning. Because we won't have time to develop the idea of a dispensation this morning. We'll, we'll tackle that next week. But we'll need an understanding of hermeneutics to do it. One application is 1 Timothy 2:15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handing the word of truth. In other words, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy as a pastor, this needs to be your primary focus. That like a skillful surgeon, you understand and know how to dissect the word of God so that what he was teaching the people of God was exactly what God's word was wanting him to communicate. And that, by extension, really goes to all Christians. You, you want to know one of the healthiest things for a Christian, for a church, is when its whole body is rightly understanding how to discern and interpret the word of God. So it's not dependent just on a pastoral staff. 
because I'm sure you all are doing different Bible studies in different areas and different reading in your own life. And as you are studying in that and as you are making its application and you are coming to understand God's truth, as we even talk in a sermon right now, you may have other verses that are coming to your mind that you have studied that would make application and help to the benefit of this message. And oftentimes it helps us sharpen each other. It helps us stay focused on the word. It helps us not get off track. Because do you think as a pastor that you ever come to a wrong interpretation of scripture? I would like to say no. (laughs) But when you put human element into it, and there's areas that we miss, always possible, a healthy, healthy church, you want everybody to understand how to interpret the Bible. Here's the second application. We really do need to greet one another with a whole kiss. It's interesting that the two different churches, at least two of them, Rome and the Corinthian church, repeated twice to the Corinthians, and I don't want to make too much of it, or I'll go beyond the rules we're even talking about right now. But we do know from history that these two churches had conflict inside. Both of them did. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 through 13. Paul says, Now exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Can Christ be apportioned out like that? In other words, they were breaking into parties and differences of thought. One said that they're following Paul. Another said, no, I follow Cephas. Another's following Apostle. And then you you can cap it right off at the top. (laughs) Well, I'm following Christ. Because that kind of tops everything off, doesn't it? And the reality is, Paul would not connect with the people in that way. Neither would Peter. And neither would Apollos. They'd want everybody to follow Christ. And it would come from understanding Christ's word. And so breaking into parties over different positions destroys the unity inside the church. And what is one way to build unity inside the church? We're welcoming one another with a holy kiss. In our setting, in our culture, making it a point to welcome each individual who's a member of Maranatha Baptist Church. Welcome them warmly so that they understand that they're accepted. But what if they have differences? What what if there's something that pulls us apart a little bit because we're in a different position on maybe what a scripture verse teaches? Or a personal preference that I hold? Romans 14, 1 through 3. There's two different types of cultures inside the Roman church. There's the Gentile culture and there's the Jewish culture and they're struggling 
Because the Jewish culture is still wanting to hold on to some parts of the Old Testament law. And they're doing so because they believe before Christ that it's right to do. And Christ says, I accept them. And others were free from that. They were eating whatever meat they chose to eat. And Christ would say, I accept them too. Because they do have the Bible on their side in that. But Paul says to the group as a whole, as for one, excuse me, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome them. In other words, warmly embrace them. But don't do this to have a quarrel over opinions. In other words, don't buddy up to them so that you can get your point across. Maybe change their mind. You, you have an ulterior motive. You're not just warmly welcoming them. You're suckering them into a conversation. And Paul's saying, don't, don't do that. Genuinely, warmly embrace them and accept them in their differing position because God is. And if God is and he's God's servant and you're God's servant, you and I ought to embrace him too. We're not talking about heresy. We're talking about a differing position, and some of it might just be because of where we are in our growth. He said one person believes he may eat in anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and don't let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed them. Final application then is, so greet somebody today with a holy kiss in our culture, in a way that's appropriate. Is it possible that somebody in a church like ours could sit here today and go, I don't, I don't feel connected? I don't, I don't really feel cared for. I'm not so sure I have the value that other people have inside the church. It can happen all the time. I feel like that at given times. Not here I haven't felt that, but in my life, over my life, as I've been in churches, I've felt that before. It wasn't, it wasn't a true feeling. It just was a reaction to what was going on if I sat down and really evaluated it. Do you want to know what helps in a time like that? Somebody just coming over saying, I'm really glad you're here today. Really good to see you. How you doing? Warmly greet them. Embrace them in whatever way is appropriate with your relationship inside the body. You may be here today and saying, that's right, Pastor. Tell those people to come greet me. Tell them people to get on the stick because I feel that way. So don't be a hypocrite today. If that's how you feel. You know how you get out of it? Greet somebody else with a warm embrace. Go, go out of your way to let them know you're glad that they were here today. It's, it's a two-way street in this relationship. Again, invite the men tonight as we get together to pray. It's not intended to be just another prayer meeting. It's intended to give opportunity to invite or to build these types of relationships necessary. 
so that when somebody comes through the door, you can heartily greet them. And you may know a lot more about them than you do right now. So you can pray for them and come alongside them and vice versa. Maybe today, greet Joey with a holy kiss. He carries the weight of the church on his shoulder. It's not fun. It's 90% negative, 10% positive. Give him a holy kiss today. Bruce King leads the deacons. Same thing. Give him a holy kiss today. Tom Rowe (laughs) has spent countless hours trying to put together a plan for our building and our structure. And we, and we can't quite move forward on it right now because we're not, we're not there yet. Give them a kiss today. Let them know you appreciate them. And it's not just leaders to leaders, it's people to people. And if everybody, as Ephesians 4, 16 says, when each part is working properly, all of us, it does what? Makes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the whole idea. Every person, each person. So may God help us to greet one another with a hearty welcome, not with an artificial handshake, but that's because it's part of our heart. And that's going to come with getting to know each other in ways that we may not right now, all across the board. Lord God, you are the incredible God. You know our hearts... Unfortunately, you know the thoughts that go across our minds each and every day. Lord, we struggle to serve you. We struggle to make those struggles known at times. Lord, we don't know where everybody is at any given moment in their life. But I pray, dear God, that you would help us to have genuine compassion one to another, Pray, dear God, that as you told us in Romans 5, that you have filled us with your love, that we would seize opportunities to express that and to put it into practice so that as a church body we may be able to build each other up, come alongside when one is struggling, be able to understand and be able to recognize and somebody is and just may not be ready to verbalize it. Lord, we need your help. And we pray for it now in your name.